Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I'm in Luke chapter 2. We're going to go through verse 21, starting at verse 8. We're going to talk about the story of the shepherds who had the angels appear to them, announcing the birth, the good news of Jesus the Messiah. They went to see Mary and Joseph. And then we're also going to tack on verse 21, where Luke records the circumcision of Jesus eight days after he was born. The nice thing about this is there are no parallel passages, so we'll just run straight through Luke, starting with verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, shepherds, as a general rule, had a bad reputation. That's kind of interesting. We always think of shepherds as these nice holy men who show up to see Jesus, and they're dealing with these nice fleecy lambs that are so sweet, and little kids love to hug them and all that. But shepherds had a bad reputation. They were noted for stealing things. They weren't even allowed to testify in a Jewish court. I know that shepherds had a bad reputation in in Egypt. Uh, if you read the uh, ancient history about Egypt, the Egyptians hated shepherds. But apparently the idea of uh, the animus towards shepherds was also present in Israel. So it's interesting to note that the first notice to mankind of the birth of mankind's Savior should be men of such low reputation. Here's a summary of all the things which show the humble circumstances of Jesus' birth. First of all, Joseph and Mary were poor people. The birth was with animals in a cave, and these low-class shepherds were the first to be told, God's ways are not our ways. The last shall be first. Big principle of the kingdom. Luke chapter 2, verse 9, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Now notice this is just one angel that appeared. We typically think, I guess, because of Christmas pageants, that there was a whole host of angels at first. No, it was just one angel that showed up. And that one angel was enough to scare the mud out of them. They were terrified. The glory of the Lord from that angel shone all around those shepherds. They probably hit the ground. They were terrified. That is the normal emotion when people see angels. Remember Daniel was terrified when he saw the angel in Daniel. John in Revelation hit the ground when he saw the angel. This is typical. This is the normal reaction. If I had a nickel for every time you find people reacting with fear to an angel in the New Testament, I'd be a millionaire. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. The angels are constantly having to say this. Look, guys, I'm not going to hurt you. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news. Not bad news. This is good news. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The good news, that's the gospel. Gospel is an old-fashioned English word that means good news. And, of course, salvation from Je- by Jesus from our sins and from, our, and from death that awaits us. But yet, what news could be better than that? It's gr- news of great joy, not just a little bit of joy, but great joy. And that news will be for all the people. Now, that does not mean all the people in the sense of every individual person on earth, because we know that some people aren't saved. Now, I know that there's these ultimate reconciliation heretics running around out there who say everybody's saved. They don't know how to read the Bible and and the parts of the Bible they don't like. They just say, well, I don't believe it. Nuts to them. Jesus Christ said that the penalty for not believing him says those of you who believe in him have eternal life. First John chapter 5, he says that. And those who don't believe don't have eternal life, which is the same thing as saying that they're going to exist in hell for eternity. So that's this, this good news is not for all the people. I can tell you some people it wasn't good news for. How about Herod the Great? He tried to kill Jesus. How about the greater part of the Jewish nation? They did succeed in killing Jesus. How about the Jewish leaders that did kill Jesus? The people it was great news for was those Jewish people that believed in Jesus, and of course all the Gentiles who later on did. So it's for all the people means all the chosen people. 
that were looking for salvation. Verse 11, Luke chapter 2. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Again, this is the angel speaking to the shepherds. The town of David was Bethlehem. Since Jesus was going to inherit David's throne, as the angel had promised, as the angel Gabriel had promised Mary in the Annunciation, since Jesus was going to inherit David's throne, it's natural, it's reasonable that Jesus was born in David's city. David's tribe was Judah, and Judah owned the land where Bethlehem was. So today in the town of David, i.e. Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. It says today, I'm not sure that means the literal day or it means this general time period. I wouldn't stake my life on that one. A Savior has been born to you. That's the Savior of the world. And when I say the world, that means not every individual in the world, but every area, every group, every category of people in the world are free to believe. The gospel is a universal gospel. Everybody from African tribesmen to Queen Elizabeth believe in Jesus. Lots of different type of people believe in Jesus. Now, a Savior means, by definition, the word means you're being saved from something. Well, what, what were those people who listened to this good news, what were, they, what were they being saved from? They were being saved from a world that was heading to destruction. They're being saved from their sin and the death that results from their sin, eternal death, eternal separation from God, hell. That's what they were being saved from. That's good news. That's real good news. Verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. The shepherds needed a sign because they're out in the country. They need to go into, into Bethlehem, which was a small town. But nonetheless, they had to go find this one particular baby. They didn't have cell phones back then and, and Internet where they could just Google it up, Google Maps. So they had to have a sign, and the sign was this, a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Well, now wrapped in clothes is not a sign. All babies are wrapped in clothes, but lying in a manger, you normally don't put babies in a feeding trough for animals. So this would be a unique situation which would tip off the, the shepherds that they had found their Savior. Luke chapter 2, verse 13. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Now if that's not going to drive the point home, seeing one angel is enough to scare you. How about a whole host of them? A host means a ton of, a myriad a lot of glory there, a, little, a lot of humility in the manger, but a lot of glory out there in the countryside. So we go to verse 14, Luke chapter 2, verse 14. The host of angels singing in a heavenly choir said this, Glory to God in the highest. It's just, it doesn't say singing, actually. It just says praising God. So I guess it's a, it's a jump to say they were singing. But they were saying, at least, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Now, I wish I could tell you which translation I'm using here, but back then when I did these notes, I was not in the habit of putting the translation down, and I have looked everywhere trying to find out what translation that was. I found a website that was using the same translation, and they didn't put what translation it was down either, so that didn't help me any. But I looked at a bunch of other translations. Most of them are very clear that this peace on earth is not to all men. Unfortunately, the King James says, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And, of course... The liberals, they take it and say, see there, Jesus brings peace to all. There's nothing, it's kind of like new agey type feeling. Everybody's got these good, warm, fuzzy feelings because Jesus came. No, it means peace on those whom his favor rests, i.e. the elect, not on everybody. I guess this chapter I've got uh, ultimate reconciliation as a burr under my saddle. Some translations have peace to those who please him, alternate translation. Either way, though, peace on whom his favor rests are all men who please him. The non-elect are enemies of God. They do not please him. So this is not talking about them. 
The peace doesn't happen to them. They're enemies of God. They're in warfare with God. They don't have peace with God. But it's peace to those on whom his favor rests. So when we receive the grace of Christ, we are no longer enemies of Christ. We are the friends of God. And we have peace. No more warfare between us and God. Peace. And by the way, also liberals love to take this and they think about uh, political peace. No. Although that's nice not to have wars. That's very nice. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about spiritual peace with God. And in fact, if more people would have peace with God, there'd be less wars and conflicts on the earth today. War is a direct result of hatred. Hatred of God and hatred of your fellow man. Luke chapter 2, verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. You see, these shepherds didn't mess around. They didn't say, Well, you know, it's late at night. Let's go in the morning. They said, Let's go. There was a sense of urgency and excitement. It is exciting when God comes down from heaven to speak to men. Remember, angel appearances were rare for the ancients, just like us. I'm, in fact, I've never, I, I've heard some crackpots say they've heard angels, that nine-foot angel Emma, who's nothing but a demon, I'm convinced of, Emma. But for one thing, the angels weren't women. And New Age have these curly-haired feminine angels floating around. Nonsense. Angels were powerful, tall, masculine figures of strength. That could kick the hell out of a demon. They're not some curly-haired cherub, a baby, or some beautiful, soft, and luxurious woman. No, that's not what they were. But at any rate, the angels appeared to the ancients, these ancient shepherds. They were excited, just like we would be. I've always had a problem with angels because I've never seen one. I had a problem with miracles, and I prayed for two years or so that God would show me one. And I saw several of them during the charismatic revival in the late 60s and early 70s while I was at college, and I'll never forget that. And I'm tempted. i was been tempted with God. I've had trouble with angels. I was born a skeptic. I was raised a skeptic. I've had trouble with skepticism. So I was thinking, boy, I'd like to see an angel, but I don't want to push my luck and pray. To, I don't think it's proper to pray to see angels. I believe they'll show up when God wants them to show up, if he wants them to show up. Just like these shepherds weren't praying for angels, they just showed up. And why did they? Because... God wanted a witness, testimony, to prove that the Savior was here. That's one thing. When natural means fail, God will fill the gap with supernatural methods to accomplish his purposes, and he wanted testimony here, witnesses, and he got them. The shepherds were good witnesses. Here's a good application. When there's a revelation of God in our lives, our first response should be to go to see Jesus as quick as possible. All the other stuff we're doing can wait. Leave the sheep in the, shepherd, in the, in the countryside. Let them eat grass. Let them sleep. We're going to find Jesus. Luke verse 2, verse 16. That's an interesting question. What happened to those sheep when the shepherd said? Maybe they left somebody behind. I don't know. Luke verse, chapter 2, verse 16. So they heard off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger, just like the angel said. Notice they hurried off in verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph. They didn't waste time. And as I said earlier, the manger was the sign. Wrapped in a clothes was not the sign, but lying in a manger, that's unusual. That was the tip-off. Verse 17 in chapter 2. When they had seen him, that's Mary and Joseph, excuse me, when they, the shepherds, had seen him, the baby Jesus, they, the shepherds, spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. What had been told them was that they're good news today. Good news for all men. Good news. Good news in verse 10. That's what had been told them. So the angels told the shepherd what was now being told by the shepherds to others. The shepherds told others, hey, there's good news happening there in Bethlehem. Good news. A Savior for the world. God loves to have the good news about the Savior of the world preached. 
Now notice that it had been about nine months since Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, Zacharias had been told by Gabriel, that the angel Gabriel, that John the Baptist was to be born. Nine months or, or so have passed. That leaves nine months for people to spread the word around Jerusalem. Something's happening. There's a forerunner. There's somebody coming to prepare the way of the Lord. According to the prophecy in Malachi, the last two verses of the Old Testament, He's going to come in the spirit of Elijah, John the Baptist. Well, that was nine months ago, and now something else has happened. Now angels have appeared to some shepherds, and they go around saying the Messiah has been born. Well, you can imagine how that made Herod the Great feel. That's why he tried to kill Jesus. He tried to kill all the babies, the so-called slaughter of the innocents in Bethlehem, to kill all the babies because the word was spreading. The Messiah has arrived. Luke chapter 2, verse 18. And all who heard it, all who heard the word, all who heard the word that a Savior had been born today in Bethlehem, all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And if you think about it, it would be an amazing thing to see angels saying that the Savior of the world had appeared. It, was be, it would be beyond comprehension, such good news. And Christians really ought to be excited about their salvation. The fact that you're die, not dying and going to hell, instead of worrying about your money and your life insurance and your Social Security and your Medicare and what somebody thinks about you and all that, your job and all that stuff. You know, but we don't even think about the good news. We aren't having to die and go to hell. We have eternal life. That's good news. Verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Pond she treasured up the things that the, angel, that the shepherds had told her. She had a lot to ponder. She had a lot to think about. What had already happened to her? The angel Gabriel, in Luke chapter 1, verses 32 through 33, the angel Gabriel had already told her that her son would inherit the throne of David. And, of course, that's messianic. Any Jew would know that the throne of David refers to the Messiah's throne. She's going to give birth to the Messiah. And then it's going to be a virgin birth. Hey, that's kind of unusual. And then she's had this birth of the Messiah as a virgin, had a baby before she had sex. I mean, who's ever done that before? And she had the baby in a cave of all places. She had left her hometown pregnant, unmarried, subject to the slings and arrows of false accusations and bad reputation. And now, as she's in this manger, angels show up and say, hey, you just had a son. He's the savior of the world, which would confirm everything that Gabriel had told to her. And so she has two witnesses now, just one. Now, I am sure that these simple people, Joseph and Mary, they needed all the witnesses they could get because what they had happened to them was so awesome it was almost unbelievable. They needed all the witnesses they could get so they could know what was going on. Verse 20, the shepherds returned. That means they returned to the fields, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which was just as they had been told. Verse 11, they had been told by the angel that there was going to be a Savior born in the town of Bethlehem. That had happened. They went to Bethlehem, found the Savior. And that he would be born in a manger. Verse 12 said that. The angel said that. And sure enough, he's born in a manger. Now, they were glorifying and praising God as they went back. When you see the Savior of the world, that's your natural reaction. You talk to any Christian who's seen Jesus, who knows Jesus, who's seen him not physically face to face, but who knows him intimately through the whisperings of the Holy Spirit in his heart, through the testimony of the water and the blood, as John says in 1 John. The baptism of Jesus at the Gordon Jordan River and water when the Holy Spirit fell upon him and by the testimony of Jesus shedding his blood to save us from our sins. When you hear that, and when you come face to face with that, and you come face to face with the Jesus who is the Lord of the universe and who has condescended to come down and live with you and be your friend, adopted brother, master, savior, and Lord, when you do that, yeah, you're going to glorify and praise him, doggone right. You know Jesus, that's what's going to happen. 
All right, so much for the shepherd story. Now we're going to take go eight days later and where Jesus is circumcised in the traditional Jewish circumcision ritual, verse 20, 21 of Luke chapter 2. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. Now the eighth day, that's by law, by Mosaic law. And Joseph and Mary were devout parents who obeyed the law. The law was in Leviticus 12, which required circumcision on the eighth day. And I read somewhere that's because the eighth day is a good time to do it because the little baby has enough vitamin K in his body to stop the clotting that's going to, to excuse me, to create the clotting, which is going to stop the bleeding, which occurs when you cut the foreskin off. And I have no reason to doubt that. Note that this is in Bethlehem now, not in Jerusalem where they're going to go next to get him purified. But this is still in Bethlehem. You're not going to get to Jerusalem in eight days right after a baby's been born. Now, Joseph and Mary were obedient to the law by having him circumcised on the eighth day. They were also obedient to the angel Gabriel, who had told them to name the baby Jesus in Luke chapter 1, verse 31. Gabriel says this to Mary, And behold, you will, receive, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, what does Jesus mean? Jesus means Savior. So on the eighth day, at the time of his circumcision, they named him Savior because he was the Savior of the world. I hope you enjoyed this audio. We will continue in Luke chapter 2 in the next audio. Hope you enjoyed this one. Hello, everybody. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I'm in Luke chapter 2. I am going to discuss verse 22 through the 38. The setting is right at Jesus' birth. Jesus has just been born. We're going to look at how Mary and Joseph took him from Bethlehem to Jerusalem to get him purified and dedicated. 